Well, hi there, and welcome back. It's another edition of Radio Free Acton. My name is Mark Vandermoss, and it's my pleasure as usual to be your host here on the podcast of the Acton Institute for the Study of Religion and Liberty. And we got a great podcast lined up for you again today. Uh, we'll be speaking with uh, one of our plenary speakers who will be joining us for Acton University 2016. Uh, but before we get to that interview, I want to give you some information, some important information about Acton U 2016. Of course, Acton U will be taking place this year uh, in June, the 14th through the 17th, right here in Grand Rapids, Michigan at the DeVos Place Convention Center. If you're thinking about joining us for Acton U this year and you haven't yet registered, please be aware that registration is going to be closing at midnight on May 20th. If you're interested in going, if you think you want to go, please get that registration form filled out as quickly as possible. Please don't wait till the last minute. Uh, you can find all the information that you need to register at the Acton University website, which is university.acton.org. Well, as I mentioned uh, at the opening of the podcast here, we have a, an interview today with uh, one of our Acton U plenary speakers this year. A couple weeks ago, we were able to talk with another plenary speaker, Dr. William Allen of Michigan State University's James Madison College, who gave a wonderful interview, a very important interview. And I hope if you haven't had a chance to listen to that one, uh, on the moral basis of, of liberty and the importance of freedom of conscience uh, to liberty. Uh, please do take some time to give it a listen. It's a, it's a wonderful interview, very important, I think, uh, for American citizens at the very least to, to contemplate uh, the things that Dr. Allen talked about uh, a couple weeks ago. But today we are uh, talking to a different plenary speaker, and uh, it is our opening night plenary speaker. She will be joining us on June 14th. The opening lecture of Acton University 2016, and her name is Magat Wad. She is an entrepreneur. She is originally from Senegal, founder of a couple of businesses, and a woman who is an in-demand speaker at conferences uh, and uh, different events around the world. We are very excited to have her at Acton U, and it was a great pleasure to be able to talk with her on the phone uh, in advance of that. So without further ado, let's uh, head over to the interview that I had uh, just a bit earlier with Magat Wah. Well, it is a real honor for me uh, here on Radio Free Acton to be joined uh, once again by one of our plenary speakers at Acton University this year, Acton University 2016, starting on June 14th here in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And the opening night speaker is uh, the woman that I am going to be speaking with right now. Her name is Magat Wad. She is a Senegalese entrepreneur. And first of all, Magat, it's it's a real pleasure to have you on the line. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, and thanks for having me, Mark. Well, pleasure to be here too. Well, the the first thing that I, I I guess I kind of have to note is that there is obviously a stereotype about Africa that exists uh, in the West and really in the United States. I think because the United States is even more separate from Africa, separated by a full ocean uh, than than Europe is. Um, there's a stereotype of Africa as being this benighted continent uh, filled with poverty and uh, and disease and want uh, that's, that's, that requires our help. And yet you, as an entrepreneur, you're sort of a walking, talking stereotype smasher, which I love about you. So what I want to ask is, is if you could tell us a little bit about growing up, at what point did you decide, uh, you know, I want to be an entrepreneur, well, for me, it's never I, – I, I didn't become an entrepreneur because I woke up one day and I'm like, oh, I'm an entrepreneur. I, I, I like to say – because I get the question many often. And I think for me, more than just 
saying, I want to become an entrepreneur, I think that very, from very early on, I <clears throat> have been groomed to think entrepreneurially rather. So, and going back to that, I think the earliest memories I have of when my mind got set up this way. Now, some people will say, oh, you're born with it. Others will say you're groomed into it. <laughs> I like to believe that, you know, it's never here or there. Everybody has their own little circumstances. And in my case, um, it goes back to very early age where basically I was born in Senegal, west coast of Africa, <clears throat> and my family uh, decided to move to Europe when I was only a few years old. So basically, as soon as I was done breastfeeding, I guess, my, that's when my, um, my, my mom and dad decided to move to uh, Europe, actually, to find a better job. And so they left me behind with my grandmother, <clears throat> you know, because they did not want to have me go all over the place with them until they knew exactly where they would be settled. Yes. So it was all about um, balance, um, you know, stability. In any case, so while I was there growing up with my grandmother, she really, I remember her always saying to me, um, it is one day, especially before, um, before leaving for Europe later when my parents decided to bring me over, my grandmother said, you know, you're going to go to this country where no one speaks the same language as you. Most likely they will not look like you, but I want, I do not want for you to shut down or to be, to start to think less of yourself because whatever they are able to do, whatever language they speak, whatever accomplishment that you see there, but you haven't maybe seen here, it doesn't matter. There are people, it's people who accomplish that and you're a person as well. Therefore, you can do the same, if not better. And before that, I think my entrepreneurial spirit came from the fact that growing up with her in Africa, she allowed me to not go to school and basically just follow my, um, my own natural instinct. And that's what I did. And I think my entrepreneurial spirit started at that time. Um, that's, for me, I traced back to those years, very early formative years of my life. Wow. Thank God for good grandparents, huh? I know. <laughs> a, a good grandma can do so much, but that, that sounds like a, just an awesome uh, grandmother. Now, you, you've, you've gone on and you, you, you currently uh, you run a company called Tiosan, correct? You're, you're doing that right now? Yes, I am um, right now. The company that I'm building is Tiosan, yes. And prior to that, I had a garbage company. But today, Tiosan is really my focus. Yeah, I, I, was, I was just going to ask that. This is not the first business that you've started. You also started a beverage company. Yes. And could, just tell us a little bit about the process. Is, 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 did you build these companies in Africa or were you international at the time? Always international. So basically, um, I am one of those people, again, going back to my grandmother, who instilled in me very early on a sense of pride, really a sense of pride, dignity, and honor. She, she really made sure that um, those were values of mine. You know, everything that you do in life, it's got to be done with honor, dignity, and um, you know, um, pride in who you are and which, where you come from. So um, I, I grew up believing that I got the really best of what my culture has to offer. And um, when you think about it, it's pretty much, it's at all levels. Um, you know, a lifestyle is not just what you drink or what you eat or the way you handle death or whatever. It, it, it encompasses you, all aspects of your life. So when you think about it that way, <clears throat> then you start to realize this whole other world of approaching the world that exists, right? Mm -hmm. So each one of these, Africa has m millions of different cultures within it. Um, 54 countries, each one of them has myriads of, uh, you know, cultures, languages, all of it. So when I see Africa being portrayed as this one monolithic, you know, um, 
mass and people thinking we're one. Uh, we speak with one same language. Oftentimes, people think we, we speak African, and there's no such a thing. <laughs> but in any case, <laughs> in any case, um, I came to the. I was, you know, lucky. I was fortunate to live all over the world. And um, but yet, what am I seeing today in the developed, in the so-called developed world? I see obesity rates going up. I see people getting more and more sick. I see um, families not handling each other right. I see um, families not eating with each other. I see when, for example, even when death hits, um, people, the way that they handle death is, is from my perspective, I'm just like, wow, I think we've got, we've got things to really offer the rest of the world. Um, so, so I started with beverages because I just felt that it would be one of um easiest, you know, uh, entry points into the type of lifestyle products that I wanted to bring to the rest of the world. Uh, but for the beverage, mainly what something that happened for me was going back home to Senegal to discover that the, the drinks that I grew up with were disappearing because people don't have the, the, the cultural confidence to understand that what they have is good oh. and stand up for it. And so my idea then became, you know what? Um, Insofar as my culture is dying because we have this um, um, complex of inferiority and also my people are dying on a regular basis trying to cross the ocean going to Europe to find a job, well, I am one of those, what I have identified very early on is the power of consumer brands to basically change the story. It changes the story in many, in, in a couple different ways. One, by changing the perception that people have of Africans. And when I say people, I mean both Africans and non-Africans, half of Africans, whether they admit it or not. It's the stereotypes we talked about earlier. Mm -hmm. So as you build these consumer brands that tell a different story, as people consume you, as people consume you, as people start to have this very intimate relationship with you because they put you on their back, they shower with you, they drink, um, you know, the bounty from, 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 from what you have to bring, then a new relationship forms, one that's based on respect. Because by the time you're coming to consume what I have, you, you're, this is the biggest, biggest, um, that's the best form of uh, saying, hey, yeah, I got it. You're just like me too. You've got great things to offer. You and I, we see eye to eye. Yep, that's right. Um, so changing perceptions that way, and as companies like that grow, then obviously you're able to create jobs back home. That's always been the goal for my company. So the first one, I did not quite manage to take it to the next level. Mm -hmm. Level one was building the supply chain in Africa, but we were manufacturing in the U.S. We still created jobs, lots of them back home in the hundreds. But um, when came the time to try and move production over there, we did not all agree um, at the company level. So there, one thing leading to another, I decided to start on a new one, which is now Chosan. And Chosan is not about beverages, it's about um, skincare and beauty, beauty rituals, but it's the same model. The model of unappreciated assets that my culture has to offer that we need to bring to the rest of the world. And so when it comes to beauty products, same thing. We have these amazing ingredients that I know that I grew up with, that my grandmother kept on applying on me, these lotions, these ointments that you know our traditional healers makes for us. And uh, But back home, if you use those products, people look down on you because we think it's only the poor people or people in the village who can't afford it who use indigenous products. 
And so at the bottom of a pyramid, you have people using knockoff products full of nasty chemicals, you know, coming from China, India, or other places like that. And at the top of a pyramid, you have uh, the elite consuming Western brands that actually are no, no better than the knockoff brands <laughs> in terms of uh, being laden with, you know, uh, chemicals. So, and in between, what's happening is culture is getting squeezed, uh, potential work is getting squeezed out. It's just this vicious circle of not getting anywhere. So, so Tiosan is just that, but this time around, we managed step one, which was obviously um, impact sourcing at first, meaning that all the ingredients that you use mainly come from Africa. So that's obviously, you know, good for some jobs locally and everything. But now we are at step two, which is moving some part of the production back to Senegal so that we can uh, help people move up the value creation, you know, move up the ladder of value creation and production. So um, that's what we are in the midst of. This year is our um, going home year. So basically, I'm one foot in and one foot there. That's why it's been so hard for us to get a, a, um, a hold of each other. Yes. But it's it's really the exciting. This is this is what I've lived. I think my whole life for. Uh, this is a moment I've been waiting for. Um, so it's it's very exciting. It's very exciting for me to know that we're going to take a different kind of jobs back home, show the world that we can be more than Shaynet collectors, you know, Okoko um, collectors, and um, really contribute to the this new image of an Africa that's also a country of producers rather than just extracting um, minerals and um, raw ingredients out of them, you know, out of there. Yes. So that's what my companies are always inspired by, my culture, and also by the fact that we want to take better jobs back home. And um, in our situation of Chosan, 50% of the profits go towards the creation of an entrepreneurial school. Wonderful. Because while Kyosan um, creates jobs for today's adults. We want to make sure that um, jobs, the jobs of tomorrow are also, you know, being the people who are going to be creating the jobs of tomorrow are getting fostered right now. And so it is very important to me that these schools um, see the light because at the end of the day, we're going to need hundreds, we're going to need thousands and thousands and thousands of entrepreneurs yes. creating companies that are create, going to create good jobs for people so that they can go on with their lives. And then I definitely can see a day where we don't, really, we don't talk about poverty anymore when we talk about Africa. Rather, we talk about various forms of prosperity. That's what the goal is. I am struck by the fact that as you talk, you talk so much about culture. Um, so many people, I think, set, set the business world as something that's apart from culture, and yet you're talking about actually defending and rebuilding uh, certain cultural things that, that may be getting swept away because people don't have the cultural confidence to use an indigenous product. I, I'm, I'm very impressed with that. Oh, thank you. Thank you. No, I mean, you know, <clears throat> I think this is where Africa's chance has come, really. Um, and any developing world country that's willing to jump on this bandwagon, I think this is something that um, a lot of the world is not very aware of. Maybe it's because I live in the United States that I have noticed uh, this phenomenon. And actually, so basically this, this phenomenon where business, uh, the type of businesses who focus on culture have stories to tell, they are, those type of businesses are in a way the businesses of the future. Because 
think about it. Um, when you are take a company, a country like the United States, where most people, most of us here, have way more than we could ever want, and could, quite frankly, could ever need. Open any American person's garage and look at the two or three, you know, like. Um, uh, um, uh, bread machines or, you know, coffee machines, all of this stuff that's sitting on the shelves. I mean, how much how much stuff are we accumulating? I think really, um, and Daniel Pink is a, Daniel Pink's book is the one who really made me feel like, wow, I'm on the right track. Uh, it's his book called A Whole New Mind. And in this book, he argues um, the same the same thing where, again, again, in the developed world, uh, we have more more goodies than we can ever handle. But what is what is more and more scarce? I will tell you what it is it's meaning and I call it this notion of for me meaning is a new luxury so we're talking about the cultural creative demographic the best way to think of them maybe is people who shop at Whole Foods but it's not only people who shop at Whole Foods it's a new breed of people maybe it's not new but it's just like a new awakening in all of us that we want to stand for more we want to stand for more than just consuming when we you know, buy something. We don't even like to use that word buying something. I mean, for me, when I, if you came to my house, every product in this house has a story. I can tell you the story of the salt that I have here. Um, you know, the company, the person who is behind it and why they wanted to do it. My sheets, same thing. Um, you know, stories of how this or that takes care of the environment, takes care of their employees so well, takes care of uh, you know their of their suppliers so well takes care of the communities so well somebody who did this because they had a, a beef with with something they really wanted to fix something see this is what's missing in people's life and more, the more we're going to go into this, this this super super you know high tech world where people are losing touch with themselves and I believe the more we're going to have this need that's a very actually human need they need to feel connected and they feel they need to feel like we're here for a reason and that even if we don't do it ourselves we want to be we want to lend a, a, a hand to those who are trying because it's still being part of a journey so so I think that as we have come to this place of full abundance um, and this is obviously you, you would, as you can imagine, the U.S. is leading the pack in this. But mm -hmm. what we're seeing is it's contagious. It's contagious. And earlier I said we think it's only people. At first we thought it was only people who had in, you know, enough money that they, can, that they have everything that they need. But we're now seeing that even in the developing world we're seeing pockets where you have people who may not have a lot, but boy, boy, do they need to make sure that anything that they consume has meaning behind it. So this thing is completely going overboard. I mean, no one knows where it's going to stop. And I will tell you one thing, I don't think it's going to stop because it's, it's a place where you're tapping into, um, it's another need of, of, of man, and man here meaning the species. It, it's, um, it's a visceral need. <laughs> and so that's why for me, I feel like our time has come. The Africans, um, we have so much to tell. We have so much to share with the world. Even when my first husband passed away, the way the elders took care of me. They flew me back home right away for a month, took, care, took great care of me. I, I came back um, feeling repurposed, um, accepting what happened, um, you know, reconnecting with faith and, and all of these things. And it was just... Um, there is all of this, and yeah, it's it's how we handle death, uh, some some foods that we couldn't know right now about, but the rest of the world is like, what's this? Uh, it's um, ways to parent, you know, even the way you educate your kids. Um, we have 
different ways and um, that are great. And I think that the Western world is waiting for. So, um, so to me, that's a great opportunity. The customer base is here. We call them the cultural creative demographic. On the other end, you have the providers of this meaning, and that's us. So let's build businesses around these things, and let's create different types of businesses where everybody feels good being involved. To me, that's the future. So I absolutely, absolutely do not want to see my continent develop along the lines of um, the type of development we've seen in China. Yes, China has gotten millions of people out of poverty, I, and I applaud that every day of, of the, every day of, of, of the year. And we can do the same, and we will do the same with using the same tools. And in this case, the tools for me are capitalism. But I want for us to use conscious capitalism to get there, using a stakeholder model rather yes. than the shareholder model. That is and, we'll, a, and that's it. We leapfrog. We leapfrog. We leapfrog yeah. it all. I, I have. A couple of questions that I could ask, but we're running out of time, so I'm just going to try and pick uh, a good one here, and, and we'll wrap it up with this. I guess the question that I want to ask is, um, it, you uh, you have this perspective as an entrepreneur from Africa who is uh, is is around the world. You uh, you you travel around the world and you see a lot of different things, and so with that perspective as an entrepreneur. And I, I hate to, to I, I'm not going to ask you what is what needs to happen for uh, you know Africa as a whole to flourish, but it, because obviously you're right, Africa is a huge continent with so many different 54 different countries and so many different cultures. I guess uh, it, I, I do kind of want to ask that question though. Um, what are the things that you would like to see as an entrepreneur in your home country or in, in 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 other African countries? What do you think are the one or two things that really need to happen? either internally or uh, in international relations or, or wherever, to see Africa really flourish? Yeah. Well, I will tell you one thing, and it's not only for my country. It is, unfortunately, for all of them, <laughs> for mainly all of them. Some, some countries, I think it's only five of them that are doing okay on that list. But um, even those countries have a long way to go to be among, you know, amongst, like, the top one, amongst the top ones. Uh, internationally speaking. And yeah. what I'm talking about is um, the, um, the business climate. So the business climate and how, and, uh, how um, you know, yeah, how, how business friendly are these countries? You know, the, the problem is, at least in sub-Saharan Africa, we, we decolonization started in an era when basically socialist economists were the most en vogue, right? Yeah. So, um, as you can imagine, then all of these countries who went from being colonized to being decolonized, basically, they started out with socialist governments, more or less, yeah. and have a terrible, terrible attitude when it comes to business. Actually, have it almost upside down when it comes to understanding the process um, of value creation. So one thing that I can really point to is the business climate has to, has to improve. So this doing business index ranking of the World Bank is one that I follow very closely and um, Fraser Freedom um, Index, um, Economic Freedom Index, is also one I follow very closely. And of course, when you look at them, um, most African countries are basically at the bottom of the totem pole. Mm -hmm. So, um, so that is that is uh, one one thing that I can point to, and it's uh, um, it's unfortunately uh, true for all African countries. And um, so, so much that for me, it is now something that I'm working on very much, um, basically working on uh, improving business climate 
the business climate, at least in Senegal, and hoping that um, it will have uh, some, uh, um, how do you say that? It will have some um, some rippling effect sure. elsewhere. But yes. that is the one thing that I would really point to. And another one that's very closely following that as well is um, education. And when I say education, I don't mean, oh, just get everybody to be literate. What I mean sure. by that is the type of um, education. We have an education problem everywhere, including in this country. Oh, yes. We are not training our young people to think entrepreneurially. Yes. entrepreneurially. So to me, those are the two that I point to, and they kind of go hand in hand together. It's um, improving the business climate all over the continent, as well as, um, you know, really um, embracing um, entrepreneurial and entrepreneurial type of education uh, models. And there are not one, there are m- many and people, but we just need to go towards that direction. So, so that's, that's really what I would be pointing to. That's that's great because you know here at Acton we uh, we we love to to have the opportunity we relish the opportunity to partner with people like you, and so many other people from Africa and around the world in building those institutions that are necessary to allow business and uh, trade and uh, interaction between countries to flourish. And uh, we're so excited to have you here this summer as part of Acton University. Again, this is uh, Magatwad who is. Uh, going to be with us uh, opening night at Acton University, June 14th, and we really look forward to having you here on the 14th of June, Magat, and, and thank you so much for talking with us today. Thank you, Mark. Appreciate it. And I look forward to seeing you all in June. And with that, uh, another edition of Radio Free Acton draws to a close. And I want to offer my thanks once again, of course, to Magatwad for joining us here on Radio Free Acton. She's a fascinating woman with a great story to tell. She's going to be telling it to uh, our uh, Acton University attendees as our opening night plenary speaker on June 14th, the opening night of Acton University 2016. If you're interested in joining us as an attendee at Acton University 2016, you're going to want to register soon. Uh, registration for Acton U- uh, 2016 closes at midnight on May 20th. So head over to university.acton.org. All the information you need to register is there. The registration forms are all there. Uh, Please do get your registration in soon. Remember, midnight, May 20th, that's when you uh, will no longer be able to register for Acton University 2016. And really, who wants to wait until 2017 to attend Acton U? It's a great conference. Uh, In the meantime, uh, we're going to sign off here for this edition of Radio Free Acton. Once again, my name is Mark Vandermoss. It's been my pleasure to be your host. And we will see you on the next edition of Radio Free Acton, the podcast of the Acton Institute for the Study of Religion and Liberty. Have a good day, y'all.